This is the Coaching Life Podcast, episode 39. Hello, coaches, parents, players, officials, fans of sports, whoever you are out there, we're glad that you've joined us for another day of coaching life. One of our favorite days of the week has become the days when we get to record a new podcast episode because we're meeting some really awesome people and continuing to learn new things and just be challenged every time. Well, today we're bringing to you a guest who works with football players from multiple levels. He's a high school assistant coach. He's been a college coach. And today he also works with NFL players, evaluating them as part of pro football focus. We really think you're going to enjoy the conversation that we have with today's guest, Brendan Leister. It's a little bit of a change of pace for us, but we really had a lot of fun talking with Brendan about a variety of things. As always, we talk about athletes and developing them. But we talk a lot about the NFL and some specific NFL players and what his evaluation has been of some players that are currently in the NFL, as well as players who are about to be drafted into the NFL. It's episode 39, and it is starting right now. Welcome back to the Coaching Life Podcast. This is Pat Martin. I'm here with my friend Chris Stewart. Coach, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. Good deal. Hey, we've we've uh, we talked about bringing some special guests on as we go through uh, the early part of our season two of the podcast, and and we've got a special guest uh, with us today. It's 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 kind of funny. You you um, I think people would scoff at me saying that that this individual is is my friend. Because I've I've never uh, I've never been in a, a physical the same physical location with with him at the same time, but uh, we we kind of met over the internet talking about uh, the Cleveland Browns That's and 2020 man it happens all the time. <laughs> oh know, yeah, I know people exactly. who never know. never met their spouse before. Yeah, that's a good person. point, right? Yeah, yeah I actually have some friends that that happened with. So. But I want to talk about uh, Coach Brendan Leister here a little bit today. Uh, he, he earned a master's degree in, in sports science from the University of Akron. He's, he's, uh, he's got experience coaching Division three college football, and he also has experience in Division I uh, college football in the recruitment process during his time at Akron. He has around seven years of experience coaching high school football and youth, and youth, youth sports, uh, and he's now an assistant football coach at Avon High School, which is a, a Division II school yeah, in powerhouse Northern here in Ohio. Ohio. Yeah. Absolutely. I hope to talk a little bit about them, too. He has a ton of experience uh, creating uh, content online in regards to uh, NCAA football and, and the NFL, and he currently serves as an analyst for uh, the well-known data analytics group known as Pro Football Focus. So hopefully that interests a lot of our listeners out there today. But, uh, Brendan, uh, thank you for joining us today. It's, it's a pleasure for me. I'm glad you're here, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. I'm looking forward to the conversation. It's always good to jump on these podcasts. And I'm looking forward to this one especially because it'll be fun to talk about something that's a little bit different from what I'm usually on these things for. Yeah, I, I know people usually want to bring you. Of course, we're, we're going to ask you a couple things. that you know, yeah, We, we gonna... might get into that some, some, <laughs> some of your expertise for sure because we, we want to ask you about, about, about Joe Burrow. I've got a couple questions about Baker Mayfield too I'd like to ask. So. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, I'm up for anything. Right. Sounds great, guys. As Pat and I have been doing this podcast for only about a year, we've got 30-some episodes in, and we're able to look at some of our, our analytics in terms of uh, listens and downloads and, and what people are most interested in. And then, of course, you have people reach out to you, and it seems like the, the, the most popular 
I should say one of the most popular episodes that we've ever done was an episode where we just really hammered on the reality that strength training is going to cover mm-hmm. a lot of deficiencies that young athletes have. And, and so we end up actually talking about strength training quite a bit in, in a lot of episodes because it's focused a lot on youth sports and helping youth uh, players who have a desire to play at the next level understand what it takes. And we've got kids that are coming to us in person as well as through social media and the phone and asking us questions about you know, hey, can I can you help me make a video and can you can you give me some advice and things like that? And sometimes it seems like the, inevitably the advice that we give is get in the weight room. If you if you've not yet been in the weight room, get in the weight room. And so we spent a lot of time talking about strength training here on the podcast. And so we'd like to ask you, since you have been a collegiate football coach and you are currently a high school football coach, your thoughts and your practice on uh, you know dealing with strength training, how important it's been for the success of your young athletes as well, the impact that it's had on the teams that you have uh, been part of. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a differentiating factor. Um, you know, at Avon, I can say it's a huge part of what we do. So, I mean, the kids are in the weight room, at least from eighth grade, freshman year up. Um, it's just, it's really serious. I mean, right now, you know, our assistant coaches are encouraged to be in there on right now. It's Monday mornings because they got a strength uh, strength training class now that all the football players are in. But Monday mornings before school, uh, there's lifting at 5:45 a.m. And so assistant coaches are encouraged to be in there with the players. So we're building relationships with them. Um, they have a set you know program that they're doing. We have uh, three main strength coaches at Avon that are all in the weight room uh, throughout the year working with all the different athletes in the school. It's not just the football program. Um, And that, I mean, you see it with Avon's entire athletic program, not just football, but other sports too. Avon is, you know, very successful for the most part in in all of the athletic programs. And and that I think kind of shows through with, with the emphasis on the weight room and, and uh, you know, having coaches that are actually dedicated to it, Um, having coached at, you know, Hiram college, um, division three program, like you said, um, you know, it wasn't pushed quite as hard for the assistant coaches to be involved there. Um, we actually had a smaller coaching staff, which is kind of amazing to, to think about <laughs> considering it's the college level, but yeah, we have a pretty big staff at Avon, but yeah. Um, you know, it was kind of a situation there where the, uh, you know, the strength coach kind of just gave them the program and then they were expected to do it, um, at Rittman high school, which was, um, that's a, I think they might be division seven now, but when I was there, it was division six and 15 and 16. Um, you know, we, I don't think they had ever really had a great strength program and that you have seen that with the results where they hadn't won many games over the years, honestly. And then we had a pretty good, um, strength coach that year who has been involved with university of Akron. I used to work with them actually. Um, we were GAs together at Akron, um, GAs in sports science and wellness, not with the football team, but he was yeah. the strength coach at Rittman. He coached D line and he did a great job with our athletes. And, and at Rittman, you know, the first year we went five and five with him as a strength coach. And that was a huge deal for Rittman. I mean, we, um, went in five games there. That was the first non non losing season, I think in 10 years at Rittman high school. So, oh, nice. I mean, I've seen it up. Yeah. I've seen it up close. The difference that it, it makes between the great, you know, great football programs, having the great strength coaches and, 
and the the emphasis on it and the culture built around it and the ones where it's, you know, a little bit more ho-hum, you know, it's not as big a deal. It's not um, pushed as hard by the entire coaching staff. And, and I think really from the head coach down, I mean, that's where it needs to come from. And we see that a hundred percent with coach elder at Avon. I mean, he, you know, he pushes it hard and he's got great strength coach, assistant coaches that buy into it. And that's where it comes from. Yeah, you, you mentioned the success of, of Avon High School, not just in football. Um, you know, uh, we, the football team has been to three consecutive state semifinal games. So that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's pretty good. I think, you know, in, in your perspective, as you grew up in, in Marietta, so, you, you, you know, so you, you were, you've spent time in, in southeast Ohio and, and, and now you're in northern Ohio. Um, I, I would say maybe a general perspective down here might be well when you when you look at Avon you know you're you're looking in an area where they have a lot of numbers to choose from and you know by default the talent's going to be there you know more so than than an area like like you know in southeastern Ohio what do you think and it might be the 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 weight training program but what do you think is you know the difference between uh, the two areas in that regard what separates you know specifically a football program like Avon High School I mean, just comparing to Marietta, I mean, it's it's not comparable. I mean, the continuity that's been there at Avon, you know, since Coach Elder took mm-hmm. over. And I know he, he took the program from basically nothing and turned it into a powerhouse within a few years. Um, you know, not only three straight Final Fours, but also 10 straight playoff appearances. I think only 14 losses in 10 years. I mean, that's pretty unprecedented mm-hmm. success. Wow, if you look yeah. at other uh, closed enrollment programs around state of Ohio, you know, I'm not even going to just say private schools. I'm going to say right. also, I think open enrollment schools, like, you know, we lost to Maslin. Well, some of their kids right. come from other school right. districts. So right. you know, I think closed enrollment Avon's about as good as it gets in Ohio. Um, and I know I'm biased, but I think the numbers kind of play that out, but yeah, just comparing with Marietta, um, a place like that. I mean, there's just no culture from, you know, it's, mm. it's got to come from, from the top all the way down to youth. I mean, in Avon, the youth program is flush full of kids. Um, there's like, I think there's so many youth football. There's so many kids that play youth football in Avon right now. I think that they, they have their own, um, their own league where they have enough kids to have their own league where they don't even have to go play like Avon Lake. They Just don't have to go play district. like, yes, I think there's enough teams that they have their own leagues. So they're able to just play. You know, they have like a flag football league, padded flag, yeah, padded mm-hmm. flag league. Um, so they don't have to necessarily go to those other, you know, they don't have to play the other school dis- districts. And, and that allows them to, like Coach Elder can just decide on what the rules are going to be for the, you know, for the league where they don't have to really agree with what the other school districts believe in. It's a very unique situation That's where cool. in Marietta, yeah, in Marietta, there was, you know, there was a youth league, but there was never that streamlined um, approach from the from the very top all the way down um, you know the the youth coaches would just run their own you know run their own playbooks or whatever it wasn't really anything and they might have it now because I think you know coach Jason Schaub who I actually uh, coached with at Marietta High School in 2012 um, I think he's been the head coach there around five years or so and I know I know his yeah. he always felt that that was important to have that buy-in from the top all the way down to the youth league so he might have that now. I haven't really been in contact with him in a while, and I don't. I'm not sure how that goes, but I know that back when when I lived in Marietta, I mean that was something that wasn't there, and and I think that's really important for the good programs, um, 
I mean, I saw it up close kind of growing up the comparable program to Avon, I would say was Williamstown high school, which is across the river and Williamstown, West Virginia. And they're a powerhouse in West Virginia. And I have uh, nieces and nephews that are in that, you know, they're they're They live in Williamstown, my sister's kids and, and uh, her boys are going to play football at Williamstown. And, and I mean, they've won like all these championships and stuff all the way up through their upbringing. Um, you know, Williamstown has a great youth league and it's all streamlined, very similar to Avon. They're running similar playbook all the way down there. Yep. And there's that continuity. So the kids, they already know the plays. They already know all right. the, all that stuff by the time they get to middle school and high school. So they're clicking. Whereas a school that doesn't have that continuity, kind of like how it was with Marietta when I was coming up through where it was a different head coach every few years, a different system. I mean, if you're going against other schools that have had that continuity, the kids are really at a disadvantage because they're they're out there thinking while the other kids are out there just reacting and playing fast. Yeah, and from a cultural perspective, you, the, it's easier to get buy-in when the kids have been in that program. Mm-hmm. You know, they've been in the program their whole life. Yeah, you know, they're, yep. yeah. the difference between going being in a recreational league and, and then going to another league and, and playing, you know, for this guy or that guy, they've been in the same program. You know, yeah, for you the entirety of just their because you train, career, just because unquote. you you transition from one grade to the next doesn't mean that you're making a transition. All you're doing is getting older in the same program, basically. Right. Yeah, I want yep. I want to go back to something you said a few minutes ago about Coach Elder. Th- three years, so three in it. You said he took the program from pretty much nothing to a powerhouse, which we know, in three years. So since you were there. You may have already answered it in, in, in the things that you just explained, but w- what are maybe one or two things that you would point to to answer the question, Coach, how did you take mm. this program from zero to three state championship appearances in, you know, in a row? That's amazing to me. He didn't take it from ground zero to state championship appearances or anything. What I was saying was he took them from a program that was – essentially you know average at best um no no real like continuity no you know all that to he took them to the playoffs in just a couple of years okay. and, and since then it's been 10 years of you know playoffs and like i said 14 yeah. losses in 10 years a state title appearance in 2011 i believe mm-hmm. yeah, but yeah. just to speak to what he he's done there you know i think he's found creative ways to get kids to come out and play um like he's created numbers and and I have never specifically talked to him about how he does that, but I know that a, a huge part of his philosophy is um, making the off season so that the kids really have to invest. And I, and he believes, and, and I've grown to believe that the more that they invest in the off season, the harder it is, you know, the more challenging it is, the more that they have to give, the more likely that they're going to be committed when the season comes around and you're not going to get kids quitting in August and all that, because, the off season is so taxing, I guess, for the kids, and they have to work so hard that it it leads to them really, you know, they're they're completely bought in if they're going to stick around right. that long. So it gets to the point where, I mean, honestly, at Avon, um, we don't cut players, but they cut themselves, especially like mm-hmm. by their senior year, because we expect our seniors to be very involved in the off season, and they have to really be bought in by that point. And and if they're not working hard in the off season, buying in and and uh, investing, then they pretty much cut themselves just with the way that Coach Elder leads the program. So it's um, 
a lot of that comes back to the investment though. And, you know, he just, he's a fantastic leader, communicator, detail. He's a straight shooter. Um, he empowers his assistant coaches, um, open-minded too, you know, not just an old school closed-minded type of guy. I mean, he, I, uh, like you guys kind of alluded to, you know, I have a little bit of a different background. I mean, I started out, I wanted to go into scouting. I coached high school football. Um, as time's gone on, I've, I mean, I didn't start out believing in analytics at all or anything like that, but the more the time's gone on, I've believed in it more. And coach Eller actually appreciates that about me where some coaches would scoff and roll their eyes. He's created a culture where other assistant coaches want to hear what I have to say when it comes to quantifying things and, you know, data on things. And um, I'll bring up points that people haven't necessarily thought of because I just have that different perspective and, and I'm respected. And, you know, you don't, you wouldn't have that everywhere. You know, Absolutely. other places I've been, there's been conversations where I would just be, <laughs> I would be, uh, you know, you just grow tired and you just don't even give your take because people don't respect it. And you know that right away. Um, where Avon, everyone's view is appreciated and respected. And, and it's just, there's a growth, a growth mindset that I haven't seen at other places where everyone is constantly, you know, pursuing excellence and trying to get better every year and constantly learning and growing. And that, I think that speaks to the success that the program's had over time. And, and that's a culture that mm -hmm. coach elder has put into place because with other head coaches, with the same coaching staff, it might not be that way. Yeah, I think that's a life lesson right there. It's not just sports related, but as a as an individual, you have to be willing to take all different kinds of information and all different kinds of uh, opinions and thoughts, and and be able to uh, to look through that and, and decipher what is is important and what's not. So that, that's a good good word there. Uh, speaking of analytics, I, I know you've spent a lot of time, you know, evaluating NFL prospects, and you know you've you've had the opportunity to talk to uh, NFL executives and, and, you know, you have, you have coaching experience at all different levels, youth, high school, college. Do you have uh, any insight on what, you know, just say an average kid could do to increase their chances of making the NFL or even having a, a successful co collegiate career? I think, I mean, work ethic is a huge part of it. I mean, speaking to NFL, I don't think that's something the average kid can I mean, they can aspire to it, but that's such a rarity. I mean, you have to be blessed with top 1% when it comes to genes to make it to that level. I mean, these are the most freaky, unique athletes in the world. So to just take an average kid that doesn't have the best genes and tell the, you know, and turn them into an NFL player, that that's a challenging thing. But I mean, if you put your mind to it and work at it and, you know, show the dedication in the weight room and, and, you know, and you have a little bit of that luck with the athletic ability at the same time and really, hone your craft when it comes to understanding the game at a high level, which is going to allow you to play faster than other kids can and show up on film and make big plays. I mean, yeah, I think there's a chance, but, but as far as like playing college football, which I think is a much more attainable goal sure. for kids, I think something that I think of like with our players is um, sometimes you get kids that they're like dead set on either playing D one or doing nothing. Um, I uh. think that's, that's a huge mistake if you really want to play college yeah, football agree. and you want to be a part of it. And uh, like some kids are late bloomers. Like maybe maybe there's a kid that's not completely developed yet. He goes to D2 and dominates, and then all of a sudden he's got a chance to, you know, maybe go D1. If that kid – or uh, not go D1, but go to that, the NFL, where if those kids are set on D1, maybe they just get lost in the shuffle because they haven't completely developed yet. So 
I think kids being open to playing D3, playing D2, um, even FCS, you know, all that. They have to be open to all options and, you know, con- just consider what, what's best for them really when it comes to academics as well as their athletic career because, um, you know, NFL players come from all those places if that's their goal long-term. But I think also understanding um, their personality too is, is important because the walk-on life of a D1 athlete where, you know, they're constantly trying to replace you with, with top recruits. That's not for everybody. Not every kid can handle that mentally when they've been a starter their whole life or a, a dominant player at the high school level, um, you know, for the past four years, it might be better for some of those kids to just bite the bullet, go D3 or D2. And, and maybe you get an opportunity to go dominate early on or, mm-hmm. or uh, get more chances to play early on. So I think every kid's got to, try to have self-awareness, but I know that that, I mean, that's a challenging thing for our, for all of us to do, but I think those are all key. And, and yeah, I think work ethic and um, just really trying to understand the game of football are two things that are within a kid's control that, oh, that they can good. really show dedication to. Yeah. Your answer there, I'll, I know you want to say something coach, but your answer there was basically in order to get to the NFL, you got to have talent, which is natural. You got to have luck and you got to have work ethic. Yeah. One of those three well, things you can control. Exactly. Focus on the things you right. can control. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Well, who's, who's uh, in terms of people that you've scouted, evaluated, who's been the biggest player that you would say that you've ever, that you maybe you saw that, that you uh, gave some coaches or some GMs advice about? Well, a big one, I mean, with the Super Bowl coming up, the one that always comes to mind because I went to the uh, NFL scouting combine one year. My mom took me when I was, I was only like 19, 20 years old, I believe. And um, it was, yeah, I was 20 years old or, or yeah, 20. It was 2013. And I remember uh, I ran into, it was North Turner and Ray Horton. They were in a hotel lobby and I walked up to them and introduced myself. And they, they had just become the coordinators for the Browns at that point. Um, so I was really interested in it. And, you know, I walk up to North Turner and I, you know, explained my goals at that point. I wanted to work in scouting the NFL and, that those were my goals. I gave him a resume, I think. And, and he's like, uh, he, he's like, well, who are your top guys this year? And, and, uh, well, one of the players that I named, I named Jonathan Cyprian to start out so that, you know, he, he's had a decent career, but he hasn't been quite the player I expected. But, but my big hit was I mentioned Travis Kelsey to him and I Uh love Travis Kelsey coming out of Cincinnati. I just loved him. I, I, you know, I just loved his athletic ability and, ability to run routes and get out of breaks and it's all the stuff he still shows. And, and that's probably one of my biggest hits. And, uh, and he's like, you know, the coaches, they don't get super involved in the process until right. Like the senior bowl, if they were out of it, maybe that'll be their first impression of a player. But a lot of times their first impression is the combine. And then they just kind of hear what scouts say to them or execs say to them up to that point. And then they get more caught up as the process goes on. So, Whenever I mentioned Travis Kelsey, he, I could tell he, he didn't know who that was. Hmm. And, and he's like, oh, well, who was his best game against? And I'm like, Duke. Because the Duke game, that bowl game, it was the Belk Bowl, and he just absolutely dominated. Yeah. Uh, I mean, his athletic ability, he's the best player on the field by far. And I remember saying Duke, and he's like, he's like, just a word of advice to you. If anybody else ever asks you, uh, you know, the best opponent that a player played against. It's a lot more impressive if you mention Alabama <laughs> or something dude. like that. And I immediately thought, oh, okay. Unless we're talking so basketball. Iper. Yeah. Well, he's just heard Eifert's yeah. top player, and that's, you know, uh, that's what he's going with. So, yep, that's so he had already heard, you know, Eifert had just played against Alabama in the national championship. 
And, and that kind of speaks to the, the process, you know, the way that the biases play into these, these people's minds. And then like, he's the OC for the Browns. He probably had some say in the decision-making that they make on draft weekend. And, and I loved Eifert too. I mean, in a different way, I just thought they had different strengths. I honestly, I, I think I had them like tied for the top tight end in that class, but Travis Kelsey, I think there was some character things with him and he fell to the third round, but I mean, we've seen him with the chiefs. No so doubt. that, that was definitely something I look back on. That's, it's pretty cool that, that I is cool. told North Turner that he would be good. And, and he ended up being better than Eifert, who he clearly was alluding to. Yeah, that is cool. And I, I thought you were going with Patrick Mahomes because I, I know that you were oh, big on, yeah. on Mahomes, you know, love, from the very yeah. beginning. And I remember talking to, to Brendan and he was telling me, you know, we, we should just trade up to get, to get when to you say whatever. we, who are you talking about? Oh, there's only one team in America, coach, and that's the Browns. So. <laughs> well, well, really, in hindsight, I, I think I just I really regret not saying at the time like the Browns should have just taken him at number one. Really, I mean, yeah. I loved him; like he was the top quarterback I've ever evaluated. Did you just say yeah? Pat? I've been evaluated. N- number and, one was we took Miles Garrett that year, and so, right? And and you know well, Miles Garrett. If you take Mahomes, though, great you're not taking rush. Mayfield. No, let, let, we're gonna get into that. What'd but, you say, Coach? Sorry. sorry. <laughs> well, it's just you know you take Miles Garrett, like great pass rusher, but but the the value is just not similar. I mean, yeah. pass rushers are very important. He's a great talent, but. Patrick Mahomes is a game-changing talent at the most valuable position in football by far. That's I mean, we're hearing that argument this year court, with yeah. Chase Young versus Burrow. What's, oh, more, yeah, what's Burrow, more value? I mean, it's not even yeah, it's not even close. Um, but yeah, I even think that the Redskins should consider Tua because you know with Haskins, who knows? That's I mean, we don't know yet if he's great. So you can you should maybe take a chance on Tua or just trade back and get a boatload of picks if someone wants to jump up for him because. I mean, yeah, Chase Young, great dynamic pass rusher, all that. But Did, I mean, that's that's not the singular player that's going to change right. a whole team. Yep. Like like Nick Bosa, I know people point to him, but he was not that for the 49ers. He's a great no. player, yes. Yeah, he's but, just but he he's one fourth of a great offensive line. Yeah, right. Right. Speaking yeah. of Haskins, so it did, just comes back to value. Yeah. Did you think you know? I've, I'm one of these people that I I did not think Haskins was ready to go to the NFL. This is just I a personal yeah, opinion. I agree. He had, he had an outstanding, I mean, obviously a record-breaking outstanding year for Ohio State the one year that he was that he was quarterback there. But Ohio State's strength of schedule has been atrocious. That year it was as well. He dominated some pretty bad teams. I thought when I watched him play against teams where he was getting more pressure, mm. we saw the real, what we were going to see, you know, the Haskins we were going to see in the NFL. I'd be really interested in hearing your evaluation of Dwayne Haskins. Yeah, so... Um... I, I was not quite as high on Dwayne Haskins as a lot of other people were. Um, if you just look at like like uh, accuracy charting me- metrics and ball placement and stuff like that, he was never uh, nearly as good as some of the other top prospects that have come out in recent years. Um, and then you also take into account that he, yeah, mm-hmm. complete like liability under pressure. Like yeah. very much just this game would completely disintegrate under pressure. Very poor when moved off his spot, just yeah. not good. And that's a very bad trait in the NFL where you have to make, make plays in a muddy pocket. You have to right. be able to make plays off platform and you have to be able to make those throws. And, and that was what I loved so much about Patrick Mahomes, especially was, you know, he has that ability. Well, Dwayne Haskins, you know, he was good from a clean pocket, which is like, that's an important trait, but he still wasn't on the level of, 
some of these other quarterbacks that have come out in years, recent years when it came to that. So um, I just I wasn't nearly as high on him. But at the same time, I didn't think that another year at Ohio State was going to turn him into a completely different player. Yeah, either. Yeah, that's so true. he was going to be the same guy either way. So I felt that he was he was right to go pro since the he hype was there. You know, he, was, he had a ch- yeah, yeah. He had a chance to go top ten. He didn't. He fell to fifteen. I mean, he he could have been taken by the Giants. He could, someone could have traded up for him at number two. I mean, there's always that chance that someone falls in love with you. I mean, it, it just you just don't know going into the process. You know, they they uh, they have to commit to go pro way earlier than the draft. You know, so it's mm-hmm. a long drawn out process. He didn't know he could have been the number one pick if the Cardinals fell in sure. love with him. But I mean, but from my perspective, comparing like. Kyler Murray versus um, Dwayne Haskins. I mean, completely different talent levels. Just I loved Kyler Murray as well. So, um, yeah, but that's kind of my take. I mean, I think that he has a chance to be like a solid starter in the NFL, but I don't see him as anybody that's ever going to like take a team completely to the next level, just putting them on his back. Mm. I will add. I will add one thing though. When it comes to Haskins, he does have a good quarterbacks coach now because they did hire Ken Zampezi, and oh, he was with point. the Browns. Mayfield, yeah, Mayfield's rookie year, and he did a fantastic job with Mayfield. I mean, really covered up some of the things that I thought were uh, kind of deficiencies in his game that we saw pop up a little bit this uh, this past season. So. Yeah, yes, yeah, I think you know, Ken Zampezi is a great hire for the Redskins, and that, I think he'll do a good job with Haskins. Coaching, I agree important. with that. I, I appreciate that transition over to <laughs> Baker Mayfield because I got. I'd like to ask you something about Make, Baker Mayfield. I, I was looking at your scouting notes that you wrote down on your uh, on your blog, which, by the way, is at uh, LeisterFootball dot com. L e i s t e r Football dot com, and uh, some really nice um, write ups on these guys, especially you know guys like Lamar Jackson. And uh, on the notes that you that you wrote from Mayfield on April 26th of 2018, scare me a little bit because <laughs> here, here, just here are a few bullet points. 20, you know, 2017 Heisman. You know, he was a, he was a transfer. Of course, he walked on, transferred, and, and but he was a transfer. 23 year old rookie coming into the NFL, the most statistically efficient passer to that date. Of course, he was surpassed by three guys since then between uh, Tua and Murray. And then of course, Joe Burrow this year, fiery, competitive underdog overachiever. And the reason this scares me is because those same points could be said <laughs> about our guy here from Southeast Ohio, Joe Burrow. Now, how do you, how, when you look at a guy like Joe and the things that he's accomplished, how would you compare him to Baker Mayfield? And how do we know that Joe's not going to be another? I mean, I'm not saying Baker's never going to be successful. I, I, Better not be. But boy, he had a completely different year this year than I think people were expecting him to. In fact, you said, you know, one of the things I found interesting too, I, I, I listened to a podcast, Brendan, that you were on where you said it was, I think, the uh, what, Uncle and the Young Bucks, maybe is what the name of it was. I want to give them credit. But okay. this was, a, I think, in May of 2019. So that was before this past NFL season. You had told them that you thought your initial assessment of Baker Mayfield was was one you had some concerns due to the fact that he held the ball until he saw his receiver come open. He didn't anticipate throws very well. He tended to want to escape away when he felt the tackles, uh, when he felt the pocket um, collapse on him, and things like that. But you said you felt like you had missed on him. There was so much hype around Mayfield in the Brown season that you felt like, well, maybe I missed on him. Well, then the 2019 season happened. 
do you still feel like you? Mm-hmm. I, I don't think you missed on him at all, to be honest. I thought I thought it was spot on when you watched that guy play this year. Yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of like the way he worked the pocket as a rookie, just it was that was something that was stark in my opinion. Like just preseason, I was like, oh, okay, he looks better from the pocket than he did at Oklahoma. I was like, uh, I think I missed. Mm. And then the season went on. And there were some of those issues like in the first half of the season, but then the second half of the season, they did a really good job of, I think he just knew where to go with the ball so much better than he did in 2019. Like he's just so much better coach. So he'd get to the top of his drop and you see that decisiveness, that aggression. And and he would just, he'd put his back foot in the ground. He'd let it rip and he was playing with confidence. And that was just a stark contrast from a 2019 season. Um, I think in 2018, they did a great job of, scheming open his first read. So he wasn't getting to the top of his drop, you know, first guy's covered getting to number two. That wasn't really something that was happening very often. Whereas 2019, that wasn't happening. Um, Half the time, I think he didn't even know where he was supposed to look based on the coverage. It it just looked Mm -hmm. like a mess, but yeah, when it comes to his pocket presence and those things, um, I thought 2019 looked a lot more like what I saw at Oklahoma where he sees a flash in front of them, you know, it might be a stunt from the D line and it might still be covered up. A lot of times it would still be protected, but he would see that flash in his peripheral vision and he would just take off. Mm-hmm. And then at that point you can't even protect him or he would get way too deep in the pocket. And then edge rushers can just run right by the tackles and get into his lap. Um, there was a lot of pressures and sacks this past season that were on him. Um, they were not on the offensive line. Yeah, I'm not going to say the offensive line played well, but he was unprotectable for much of the season. He escaped in my opinion. very quickly. He it seemed right. like he wanted to go back and to the right. I, I was mm-hmm. heck. I was watching the game one time with my wife, who you know she knows a little bit of football, but you know not just a, a, a wife watching football with you. And she said, <laughs> she said, Chris, he runs to the sideline a lot, doesn't yeah. he? And and yep. it, it's just an observation that an normal person can make. I think. Yeah, and I think that, you know, defensive coordinators, they knew that he liked to scramble right. That was where a lot of his big plays came from on scramble drills. So in last offseason, I think they game-planned that a little bit. They were like, mm-hmm. let's make this guy, if we're going to let him escape, we're going to make him go left. Um, and I think we saw that. And and they really just didn't have any counters for that. You know, a lot of the big plays his rookie year were off those scramble drills. And, and that's, you know, he's always been good at that. And I think that... Part of the thing with him is, I mean, my first impression of him was that he was more of a scramble drill type player. I think he really had to develop from the pocket as his college career went on. His first instinct is not to just sit in the pocket, pick people apart. His first instinct growing up through youth. I mean, we were talking about youth football. I bet when he was a quarterback at the youth level, he was better athlete than everyone. He would take off running, making plays with his legs. More like, a you know, people have compared him to Manziel. He's not like that now at all. But that's that's more of a player he probably grew up playing like. And, you know, it took until his junior year of college to finally really learn to sit in the pocket a little bit more and make those plays from the pocket. And I think his senior year, he made a lot of progress there too. And Lincoln Riley helped with that because Riley creates this insane amount of space in that offense where everybody just looks open almost all the time, Mm -hmm. especially in the Big 12. Um, I think, yeah, when his... When things don't go right on the field, what I'm saying is his instinct is to take off and run. Yeah. It's and, and he's got to learn and develop when it comes to my first read's not open. I don't run. I get to number two. I get to number three. I find my check down. Those are all the things that he's really got to learn and develop 
And I think that he can do that. You know, it's not something he can't do, but he needs great coaching and that they've got to hire a great quarterback coach. And, mm. and they clearly didn't have one this past year. And, and that was a complete failure the way that he was coached this past year. Cause you saw the difference between Zampezi versus Lindley. Yeah. I think that was one of the biggest failures of the Browns organization this, this past year. Definitely. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, yep. Do you think you can't have him with an inexperienced quarterback coach? It's just it's inexcusable. Yeah. Do you think we'll see the same thing or something similar with Joe Burrow, who's probably going to be on the run a little bit behind the offensive line he's most likely going to be playing with? Um, I don't think so because I think that Joe Burrow processes information um, at a con- consistently higher level, and he he has the ability like to pick people apart from the pocket, like get from number one to number two to number three. Um, He's also fantastic when it comes to pocket presence and pocket movement, which is something I would never say about Mayfield, even as a rookie, like he was, he was good in that area at times, but I think some of the plays he made were um, kind of lucky. And, And I wouldn't say that about Burrow at all. Burrow does a great job of maneuvering the pocket, keeping his eyes downfield, keeping two hands on the ball. That's something we haven't seen from mm. Mayfield consistently. I mean, he's been stri- strip sacked a good amount, but I think Burrow, he, he's also just a more accurate passer too. If you just look at like uh, ball location metrics, I mean, Mayfield was the most accurate that like PFF had ever seen. And then Kyler Murray came along and he was very close. So then it's like, okay, how much of this is them? How much of this is Oklahoma just scheming open guys? Cause you know, we should all, no, just from watching football. I mean, it's easier to throw accurately to open receivers than it is to covered receivers. That that if they don't have much separation, it's harder to throw accurately because it it's puts really a bit difficult. More pressure on you. As, it's as really difficult though to throw to standing cardboard circles, according mm-hmm. to Lamar Jackson. Right? <laughs> <laughs> How dumb yeah. is that? I I, yeah, <laughs> I don't want to get into yeah. that. <laughs> no, no, I yeah, I don't. Uh, but, but yeah, I talked but, enough. But this yeah, past I mean, so. <laughs> good coach. But yeah, with uh, with Burrow, I just think yeah, he's about as accurate as I've ever seen. He's got the. I mean, the only thing that could hold him back, I think, is just. I mean, his arm is not the best arm, but I don't see that being a problem at all. He's got plenty of arm strength. He's just very accurate, and he's naturally accurate too. Like I went back and watched the spring game, the highlights, his highlights from the 2016 spring game, like. Mm, within yeah. the past week and he's consistently hitting guys in stride and they were it's saying that per- perfect balls perfect balls the strength was his accuracy like you could see it just a naturally accurate passer and that's I that's think something that's in this, pretty much impossible to coach and he naturally yeah. has that in this national championship game i think it was it was it really came out as well because that was the tightest coverage that Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase and those guys had had, and they had some drops. Mm-hmm. But, man, those balls were right there. Yeah. They were right there. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Re- reading a report, scouting reports online, you hear a lot of, you know, this idea that there, there's nothing elite about Joe's game. You know, he's good across the board. There's nothing elite about him, but he doesn't really have any weaknesses. What do you think? What's your take on that? I think it's a ridiculous statement, but <laughs> – it's like I mean, a, it's I like a negative that, that, that you know when they say that they're saying it as a negative. Well, that's just insane because I mean you look at other quarterbacks that have come out of college and and you'd say oh well you know Josh Allen he's got elite arm strength right well, like what does that really matter I would say Burrow has elite he he has elite accuracy like rare accuracy okay rare yeah. ball placement like that is that, like a, I view rare as even you know that's 
for me, that's even higher than elite. Like I haven't seen quarterbacks throw with the type of placement and accuracy that he has coming out of college. Mm. And so like that is, that's an elite trait. Like that's I, a big yeah. deal. Like his, his ability to elevate those around him yes. with his, an elite with intangible. His ball placement because, yeah. yeah, because it, I mean, it allows your guys to run after the catch consistently, no matter where they're catching the football. Like you're going to create so many explosive plays after the catch. If you can throw that accurately, you're not, missing behind guys and making them consistently make these great catches. And also I think like his ability to evade and evade the rush in the pocket and keep his hands or his eyes down the field um, and extend the play. I mean, that's another trait that's uncommon that he has. And he's very good at it. He, he creates explosive plays by extending. And some guys just don't have the instinct to do that. Like mm-hmm. some people just don't do it. I mean, um, someone that comes to mind, like Marcus Mariota, like, he has never had that instinct to to extend the play and use his athletic ability as a weapon against the defense when it comes to using his arm. He would always scramble to run. Mm. He's not really a guy that extends with his legs and scrambles to throw. Burrow is elite in that area too, where mm. like scramble drills with him, defensive coordinators are going to be terrified. They're going to say, we got to keep this kid in the pocket and make him pick us apart. And what's scary about him that? is at a, at a young age, he showed the ability to do that, which mm-hmm. is something we don't we don't see with guys coming into the NFL. Um, very few. I, I don't. I just don't know of any other guys that, are, that have shown the ability to pick people apart from the pocket as well as extend and combine it also with that elite accuracy. I mean, those are all traits that are extremely important. And then you also look at the way that guys gravitate to him. Mm, I mean, his yeah. team loves him. He He's a competitive a dude. And, yeah. Yeah, everybody loves him. I mean, that's that's huge too. Like this isn't um like it's something people are going to talk about and fall in love with. I mean, every NFL team should wish that they could have a guy like that cuz he, he, he has be, all those traits. He's going to be fantastic in Miami. <laughs> he's going to be great. <laughs> Where do you think he's going to go, Brendan? <laughs> Cincinnati. I mean, I don't see Cincinnati passing on him. Cincinnati, I mean, the the same people are at the top that have been there for a long time. Like, you know, Mike Brown's very involved with the operation there. And like they took Carson Palmer. It's not like the past on Carson Palmer. You know, I, I think that that team, like they'll make the no brainer decision. They're not going to overthink it. Like, like we think of some teams doing. Do you think there's any concern about, you know, Joe going, you know, you, you said a lot of nice things about Joe there and, and actually said he had two elite skills that I, I don't hear a lot of people talk about, but I, I agree with you. Do you think there's any concern about him going to the Bengals and being successful, you know, as opposed to a, another organization that has had, you know, continued success throughout the years or is just, you know, perceived to be a better organization than, than what the Bengals are? I just think the concerns like, is Zach Taylor a good coach? I mean, we don't know. Yeah. It's pretty hard to lose that many games. I'll say that like, like it's pretty hard to lose that many games in the NFL. I mean, even the worst teams, a lot of years, you know, squeak one, like they'll win like around four games or yeah. And they lost a lot of games this year. And so like, it wasn't just a talent thing. Like usually when you have like, look at, for example, like Miami, Yeah, I I consider that like, like their PFF grades were much worse than the 2016 and 17 Browns. But one team was coached by Brian Flores. The other team was coached by Hugh Jackson. Mm-hmm. And so, like, Miami had the worst PFF grades I've ever seen across the board almost, except, like, passing, which was a big deal. Like, Fitzpatrick played okay, and that that's part of the reason they won. But, but like, they won five games. And then you look at the Bengals, who graded a little better, but 
they didn't win five games. So, yeah, I mean, that's the question. Is Zach Taylor the guy? Like, because you got to have the QB and the coach. And, like, that's something we've seen in Cleveland. You know, like, I think Baker Mayfield has, I'm not going to say he's ever going to be an elite guy. I mean, after last season, I thought, I thought that might be the case, but now, you know, you see more snaps and I saw more of the questions I saw at Oklahoma. So now we'll see, but I think, you know, you get the coach and the QB and now you've got a shot, but you can't just have one of them. That, yeah. That's never going to work if you just have one. That's rough. Pat's thinking about putting the stripes on. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> no, I'm, well, not. I'm a Cowboys fan, so we're, we're not even going to start on, on the – Things that what, what do you think I about Dak, Coach? You got any? You got any thoughts? Oh, Speaking of throwing behind receivers, what's that? What'd you say, Coach? Oh, Dak. I think Dak's a good quarterback. I do too. I mean, Dak. Dak had a good year. He he uh he had his best year of his career. I think he had a good good rapport with Kellen Moore, and that matters a lot. And and we'll see. I mean, he was his QB coach, you know, for the past few years, and then he stepped up into that OC role. It seems like he did a good job, especially early in the season, and that's probably. That's probably something that's happened in the past, too, with other good OCs where their first few games you come out hot and then more experienced defensive coordinators see a little more film. Maybe they adjust, and mm-hmm. take away what he wants to do well. It's tough to develop those counters and in the middle of the season when it's your first year ever calling plays. Mm-hmm. So, Browns fell um, right into that trap, didn't they? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but, yeah, I think it's encouraging that, like, McCarthy was open-minded enough, enough to keep Kellen Moore around. And I think he, he's empowering him to call plays, right? He is. He is. Yeah, yeah, that's important. I mean, yeah. that's that's a really big deal. So that just shows that he has some confidence in him. Or he wants him to be the fall guy when the team uh, loses too many games. He's going to say, oh, well, Jerry, this was your OC. I'm getting rid of him. Now I'm going to call. Play. That's a great point. I don't know. Wait a minute. You, McCarthy's not – nobody does anything in that organization except Jerry. <laughs> yeah. Mike could say he could recommend that that you get rid of Kelly, yeah. but Jerry's pulling that trigger or not. Yeah, yeah, I, I've for sure. Why. But I right. think I, I like the Dak. I like the Dak Kellen Moore combo, though. I yeah. like it. I think. I mean, Dak might not be. He might not be a consistently, you know, elite quarterback. You he know, frustrates you sometimes. That's, that's a, Speaking of giving mm-hmm. receivers the opportunity to have yards after catch, I, that's one of the things that frustrated me with Dak. It seems like his receivers had to turn or jump or reach down a lot to catch balls that, you know, that if they catch that in stride, they're off to the races for at least another, you know, five, six yep. yards. Yeah. He did play this past, he did play well this past season though, but he did. Kind of, the point I was kind of going to make is like, there's very few players that are consistently at that top level. I mean, there's, there's always going to be some, some fluctuating with the way that they play year to year. And like, I'm, I'm a pretty big advocate of PFF grades. Like the more that I've, you know, I've been a part of it, but I've also just seen over the years, like there's such a huge sample size that I think on the whole, they're right way more than they're wrong. Mm. So that kind of evens itself out over time when you're ranking players. And I mean, we see it with quarterbacks all the time where like, for example, Mayfield, you know, rookie year is top 10 in PFF grade. Then his second year, he was like closer to 20. And then we've seen it with, I mean, we've seen it with a lot of quarterbacks where, like, Dak was in the top five this past year. Well, maybe he's in the top 15 next year. I think that's where he was the year before. So there's always some fluctuation unless you're that elite, elite rare talent like Patrick Mahomes where you're going to be near the top every year. But but even this past year, I mean, he, I think he was – or this season, I should say, he was sixth. So it's still – it's not mm-hmm. like he was number one or number two like he was as, uh, as a second-year player. So I think it's always important to keep that in mind that – 
Um, progression year to year is never, it's never like a linear thing. It's always just kind of like, you know, there's always going to be ebbs and flows and no player stays exactly the same year to year. Yeah, sure. Good point. Well, coach, we, uh, I don't know how many episodes of the coaching life podcast you've listened to, but you know, we, we focus uh, a large majority of our time on, on, on youth and and high school sports and, and basically the development of uh, young athletes and so you know we we like to talk a lot about youth sports and uh, one of the questions that we always ask and we've we've made a point to do this with all of our guests we ask this one question to everybody that comes on and we'll continue to do that but the question is what is your favorite youth sports memory either as a player or as a coach anything that sticks out in your head that you know that, that was real enjoyable or you know, real funny or whatever it is. Is there, is there anything like that that you remember? Yeah. Um, one thing, like when I was, a, you know, I coached youth football in uh, 2013. So yeah, we had like three coaches on the staff and I was very involved with the offense, but we all had to coach, you know, both sides of the ball, of course. And um, I just remember on game day, like we just try to make it a fun experience. And I, I remember on, uh, you know, it'd be like a third down or something. And I would, I'd yell. There was this kid, his name was, his last name was Heener, I believe. And he's probably already all the way through high school now, you know, thinking back, <laughs> yeah. but he was fourth or fifth grade. He's a big kid. He was our, no, our, he was our nose tackle. This was fourth to sixth grade football. So he was actually one of the younger kids on the team, but he was a very good player already by that point. And you could tell that he was, he maybe had a chance to grow up to be like a really good wrestler and lineman, you know, long-term. Um, but I remember, on big plays, like third downs, I'd, I'd yell, Heener, make a play. And he'd look over at me, like nod. And then you'd see him, like, he'd just wreak havoc on those plays sometimes. It's just really knew funny. someone I was mean, watching him. Yeah, yeah. Like, as a, you know, I was a young coach in my career at that point. And I wouldn't necessarily do that, like, with high school kids. You know, that's not really a coaching point. You know, that's just mm-hmm. kind of yelling something out. But, but it's still, it's kind of cool to, like, point out that kid and be like, hey, make a play here. Let's go. Um it's not necessarily a technical thing or anything like that, but yeah, like you said, he, he knew someone was paying attention to him watching and, and he would usually step up in those moments and, and make a play. And, that, and that's, that's really like the one thing I remember most from that year is uh yeah, just that, that's just trying cool. to make, make the kids across the board have a fun experience. Yeah. But that was, it was pretty cool when he would do that. Definitely. It's good stuff. Yeah. They respond to be paid attention to. Sure. I mean, they, yeah. If they yeah. know that you care and that you're, you're watching, that's, that is, that's a good story. Absolutely. Well, coach, how can, uh, appreciate you being on, how can people, uh, find you? I mean, what are you most active on, uh, on social media or email? Um, yeah, definitely on Twitter. I'm most active. Um, my, you know, my at is at Brendan Leister. Um, yeah, I've been writing a little bit more on my blog, leisterfootball.com. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wrote some notes, uh, this past week on Isaiah Simpson, and I'm trying to get a little bit more back in ri- into writing about the draft this off season. Uh, we'll see how many I actually write. But you did a um, mock draft for 2019, yeah. didn't you? I did. On yeah, I was on the day of the draft. Yeah, I just sure. did it for the heck of it. But before that, I, I I hadn't really written any for 2019. I was writing for USA Football last year, so I was more focused on that last last uh, last spring and and all that. But um, yeah, most of my you can really connect with me on Twitter at Brendan Leister. If you have questions, you can always DM me, um, you know, mention me in a tweet. Um, you can email me if you, if you want to email, uh, it's just Brendan Leister at yahoo.com. 
Um, but yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. It was a good time. Thank you so much. And um, if you want to have me on in the future, I'd love to talk to you guys again. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Appreciate that. We'll talk to you soon, Coach. Sounds good, man. Have a great day.